Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I am here with a fantastic dream guest. I've wanted to uh, talk to her for quite a while, and uh, I'm so glad that we got the chance to do it. She's just a, a lovely, lovely person. You guys probably uh, know her best from her work on the show MASH, where she was on for 11 seasons. Uh, just an amazing uh, run of emotions when you think about the character of Margaret Houlihan and uh, everything that she went through through the seasons from uh, being the strict nurse to being uh, human to uh, taking care of a dog in in, uh, in one episode where uh, she was really affected by uh, what happened with the dog and then, uh, you know, the different people that she'd had in her life, like Frank Burns and how she was kind of a giddy schoolgirl around Frank. And then uh, but when it came time to be a nurse, she buckled down. She was stern uh, leading the nurses, doing what she had to. So many emotions with that character. Uh, really amazing. And unfortunately, we didn't get the chance to talk about that. Maybe we will down the line because we had so many other important things to talk about. Um, her work uh, as an animal activist is just uh, just unparalleled. And we spent a good chunk of the conversation talking about that. And I'm really glad that we did because I got to learn some things that I didn't uh, know and hadn't heard in the previous interviews that I had listened to in preparation for this episode. So a lot of great stuff. And uh, she still, uh, as of the time of this recording, she still has a few books available. If you go to switheart.org, which you can find in the show notes, S-W-I-T-H-E-A-R-T dot org, you can buy her book, the Watercolor Artistry and Animal Activism of Loretta Swit. It is amazing. She is such a talented painter. And uh, it's it's one of those things that like every picture will just warm your heart. So why wouldn't you want to get that? And the proceeds go to the charity. So you're helping uh, on multiple levels. It's a total win-win. Go uh, buy the book. And uh, I, I think that the, uh, the best place is uh, switheart.org. So, uh, you know what? I'm not even going to talk about what's going on with me this week. I'm so excited to bring her on the show. I actually usually wait until I've edited the episode to, uh, you know, do the intro. But, uh, you know, I just got off the phone with her and I'm so excited. I wanted to make sure that I uh, hit uh, the book again and uh, let you guys know about it. So, you know what? I'm just going to shut up and bring her on the show. Here she is right after these words from our sponsor. MJ&J Farms would like to invite you to experience the power of full-spectrum CBD oil. MJ&J Farms sells high-quality, organic, full-spectrum CBD oil tincture. Our oil comes from high-quality hemp plants grown in northern Arizona. We're a small family farm, and we put our hearts into growing a quality product. We did everything by hand, planting, growing, harvesting, and milling. We were involved in every step of production, so we can guarantee the quality of our product. We chose to mix our extract with organic, cold-pressed hemp seed oil, grown and processed in Oregon. Once we had harvested our plants, we worked with local Arizona companies to create our CBD extract, and then to turn that extract into our full-spectrum CBD oil tincture. Our product is 100% American-made. Visit our website, mjjfarms.com, to get more information on the benefits of full-spectrum CBD oil, or to find out how you can speak with us directly to get all of your questions answered. MJJ Farms. Quality from soil to oil.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to bring on my guest. I know I say that every week, but this is like tenfold for me. I've wanted to talk to this wonderful lady and talk about all the amazing things that she's doing to make the world a better place and all the things that she's done in the past to make the world a better place. Let's bring on uh, my guest, Loretta Swit. Loretta, how are you today? Oh, I'm terrific. And and what a lovely introduction. I shall do my best to live up to that. I don't think that's going to be a challenge for you because every (laughs) interview I've listened to you do, uh, which has been quite a, a bit, uh, you're, you're just always, uh, very excited to, to talk and about the things that you've done. I'm, I'm blown away by the amount of activist work that you've done for the canine community. Oh, my little canine family. Yes. Well, it's, you know, it's not only uh, canines or or not only just animals. Um, we are very active in trying to bring back uh, dogs from Afghanistan to, to um, uh, well, no, now that's not nice. I'm recording. That's Yorkie. <laughs> She, there, there's a company, the, uh, a family moving in, and they there's activity in the lobby. Oh dear. So, uh, so yes. Uh, so anyway, if if you don't mind her, now I want you to keep quiet because I'm working. Okay. Are I'm you talking. talking to me or the dog? No, I'm talking <laughs> to <you>. little angel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about the um, bringing the dogs back from overseas. Obviously, there's probably some additional challenges with uh, with the virus, but Oh, right. Yes. We, we had to cancel a trip that was planned for April. We were going to a Kuwait and we were bringing back a dozen dogs. Was It's just a postponement. I look at everything, all the work and stuff that I had in, in line to do as just a postponement. Let's get through this. Let's grow from this and uh, and take our experience with us because we'll be stronger and better and we'll do it. So that's that's how I think about it. Now, I, I, my, I, I live in New York. I'm not sure if you know that or whether you'd say that. But uh, we have this incredible man, this incredible leader, Governor Cuomo. And uh, to listen to him straight talk and tell us. And yeah, I, it's been inspiring. And I'm grateful for having had the experience of working with this man every day. At 1130, he gets on and he gives us a recap, tells us, by the numbers, gives us data, treats us all like adults, and he loves the state, and he loves this city, and he loves New Yorkers. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just so inspiring to have an official be that way. There's even there's a new uh, we've coined a new word. We're homosexuals. Ooh, I like that. Is that great? I love <laughs> it. Well, you know that's. That's a big difference when you have somebody that is guiding you uh, in any anything that you're working on. If you don't have a good director, it's kind of hard to to muster up the ability to play your character. If you don't have a good leader, it's hard to know what to do or how to help. Uh, that's really inspiring that you have that in place. Yes, yes, it has been. It's it's kind of um, uh, finding the good to come out of this. Uh, as there always is, there's always good that comes out of um, evil. You make lemon, you know, into lemonade. There's always that. And that's what he encourages us to look for. And he uh, he's not afraid to uh, pay compliments. He's not afraid to say this is, you know, you're doing our our um, 
uh, as you know, we've uh, this new language. We have flattened our curve more and more and more, and been so careful with protecting us, not opening everything up too fast and so forth. But anyway, I, I know you don't want to take up time to talk about about uh, the crisis because we're living through it. But I think I think the what what's great about him as the leader is he helps us find the strength and the goodness in in a bad situation and we will all be better for it we will grow from it and that's that's his whole deal that's how he projects himself and and it's wonderful it's wonderful that kind of positive energy really does make a big difference especially as a leader but just the idea of how hard you guys have been affected by this virus in new york uh, uh, you know it's it's good to see that everybody's kind of pulling together and doing what they can to make this go away Right. Yes, they that they have. In fact, uh, that's true. That's what made us strong. Everybody pulled together and uh, did what was necessary. Followed the rules. We saw the sense of the rules. And, uh, you know, how how dare anybody feel it's inconvenient or unattractive to wear a mask when it means you might be saving your life or somebody else's life? I mean, it's absurd. But, you know, one one evening I'm channel surfing and I come across the diary of Anne Frank on Turner Classic Movies. And I think to myself now here is a is a perfect example. This is a 13 year old girl. And what did she do? She She's in hiding for how long in an attic where there's no space. There are two families hiding in this little space. During the day, they could not walk or talk because people were working in that building. Mm -hmm. They could not walk or they couldn't eat until late at night when they were smuggled in food. Okay, and she's 13 and she writes a document that has become a bestseller globally. And still is always will be on the best selling charts. So uh, I, I I I I looked at that. And I thought, how can anybody have a problem wearing a mask or or distancing or or sequestering? I mean, I have never been. Well, I have been busy, but I mean, I've never been busier than I've been during a quarantine. Well, that's because you're somebody who looks for opportunity and acts upon it instead of saying, you know, it'd be really nice if I could do this or, you know, maybe one day I'll do that. You just do it. Opportunities are everywhere. And and choices, we all we all have the choices. We, we make our choices. You get up in the morning and you have a choice. You know, you can make that day magical. That's your choice. You can, you know, everything can be totally positive mm-hmm. or or not, in which case you uh, run around without a mask thinking that's never going to happen to you. But, you know, right. sometimes, sometimes I'll be walking along, I'll see a person who's taking the mask down uh, onto uh, his or her chin and they're smoking. <laughs> so oh. I... <laughs> I think to myself, why should I remind them, you know, to take care? They're already, yeah, one way or the other, they're going to kill themselves. So, you know. I was at the the grocery store a couple of weeks ago, and I saw this lady was there with uh, either her husband or boyfriend or whoever. And every time she wanted to say something to him, she took her mask off. 
And I thought, why, why bother? Why, why you know, is it a show? And why do you, why do you think we can't hear you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're wearing a mask. Yeah, it's. I I think part of the problem is that people that aren't directly affected haven't had somebody in their family, haven't really had a, a connection to the virus, don't really think of it as as real. And, uh, you know, I remember when I was talking to Eileen Graff about this and I said, you know, at September 11th, when I saw that second plane hit the tower, it was like I was watching a movie because I'm so desensitized by the things that I've I've seen in fiction, but also in real life. And I kind of wonder if there isn't some of that symptom here where it's not real because it hasn't hit home personally to some people. Um, we need a stronger brotherhood and sisterhood. I was here at 9-11 and I saw what happened that first day. Everybody, everybody was related to everybody. Yeah. There were, there were no strangers on the street. Everybody talked to each other. They talked they they related like family they were family they wanted to really know are you okay where were you how are you do you are you okay and you go to a grocery store and if there's a line you want you need to go go ahead go in front of me go i mean the the respect the politeness the and and it lasted for a good five days i saw that happened. And of course, I worked at Ground Zero and I worked at uh, the Javits Center slinging hash, so to speak. And I, I, I can't tell you those incredible people coming all across America, driving their trucks filled with food and setting up counters at the Javits Center and feeding this long line of the, uh, the responders you had everybody's there the, the the NYPD and the the fire department and and uh, search and rescue and and they're all and it's constant the line keeps moving because as soon as they eat they sit down they go inside the Javits building they take a nap and go back to work and the so the, it just keeps moving and um it was it was astonishing the strength the power the commitment the courage, bravery, you know, and it's just so unfortunate, oh, tragic, that we need a crisis to remind us that we are all connected. Now, what we're missing in this world is connection. It's the most important thing we have, a connection to each other. I say that all the time, and I find it fascinating that we live in a time where communication is the easiest thing in the world. We have so many different ways to do it, but people can't seem to do it. Not on a real heart-to-heart -heart level, anyway. Uh -huh. you're, you're right about that. We have never had such a incredible technology where you can talk or you can send a, a, a note to your friend in Japan or whatever, and it's three in the morning here, but you're, you know, it doesn't matter. And, uh, but it's, um, yes, the technology is superior. It's fabulous. Uh, I, it's funny. We were talking about this on a podcast the other day and I, that didn't say it quite as well. It was that uh, quite as well as it was in the movie that I was quoting, the um, the uh, Scopes trial, they did uh, based uh, Inherit the Wind. It's a great play and then a very good movie based on the trial uh, that um, 
<clears throat> the, the school teacher wanted to teach evolution. And in this rather backward, very religious community, they thought it was sinful. So he was on trial for his life, really, his career. And um, um, Spencer Tracy, of course, the greatest, uh, had this beautiful speech. And he talked about progress. And he said, I like to think that somewhere God is giving us a trade-off. God says, uh, all right, you can have the telephone, but you will lose the charm of letter writing. Mm. Lose the charm of reading and communicating that way. Okay, you can have airline, air, airplane flight, but the birds will lose their wonder and the clouds will be filled with gasoline. So it's uh, it's uh, one of my favorite movies, and my dear Harry Morgan was the judge. Oh. Anyway, uh, yeah, but it's it's one of those great black and white films that is uh, always a classic. Frederick March, Gene Kelly. I mean, just an incredible cast. But um, we are now living in this world. There are kids out there who are are growing up with no knowledge of anything but this. This, this is their life. I mean, the, the, the youngest kids have computers and they probably work their things better than I do. I mean, they're just, they're absorbing knowledge like sponges that they are and they're way ahead of us. But, but we, we need to try to, um, try to return, don't lose the humanity of that letter writing of the wonder of the birds. I mean, and that's the danger, I think, this uh, tremendous progress with with technology. Don't lose sight of what is human. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think the other thing that we've lost is the ability to be patient because everything that we could want, we can just download. We can have it delivered most things the same day or within uh, 48 hours. There's no patience. Like when I was a kid and I wanted something, I had to go and get an international money order and I had to wait 30 days for them to get it over in England and another 30 mm. days for me to get it or 40 days. And we just don't have patience anymore. And I think that fuels that separation because uh, people want just expect that whatever they want, you're going to give to them. And if you differ in opinion or you don't work at the same speed they do, the impatience really settles in. I agree with you, Dustin, but isn't that a very human flaw? Yes. I mean, I've heard people complain about the um, the the, uh, the their own computer isn't working fast enough. I mean, before that, you couldn't you couldn't do what you're doing with the computer. Right. You, you know, suddenly it's not fast enough because we I think it's a human flaw. Better and better and more and more and more and better and faster. And, and um, I uh, I if we pull back, look at it and laugh and and try to learn the patience that you're talking about. I think going through a crisis like this should teach us patience. It can if we open up and learn from it. We, yes, it can teach you great patience, mm -hmm. and um, but but uh, but it's all part of the same thing. You and I are talking about the same thing that that um, we can um, make lemonade out of lemons, right? 
is always, always my kind of favorite thing because to set out a lemon, it doesn't work. But when you make nice cold ice cold lemonade, you know, it's delicious. And that can happen. You know, I, it's all up to us. And we can, you know, like you were saying, we have the ability to decide our if our day is going to be good or not. But I would even take that a step further and say that we have the ability to decide every moment. And if we've started out and the, the day's not started out the way we wanted to, I think a lot of people tend to go, well, this day's shot. And <laughs> right, you, you right. can just stop and go, I'm going to turn it around right here and make the rest of the day great. Right. But again, it's, that's really the same thing. It is. No, we're, we're, it's a flaw. Um, we're, we, sh- we try not to allow ourselves to get so spoiled but by our tremendous intelligence, our, our, our tremendous science and, 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 and progress. But hang on to the, the reality. The important thing is it doesn't have to go faster than that. Right now, as fast as it can, as fast as it can go, let it go. Enjoy enjoy what you have and and in the back of your head sure it's going to get better it's going to get faster or whatever um but i think uh but again when we're talking about a human or a flaw that's again not to lose touch with your humanity right yeah that's very true and it and it is easy to do in the world of technology where we we could send a note to somebody, but you can't really read the inflection in it. So it's very easy to misunderstand what somebody's saying. And instead yeah. of just clarifying it, our reaction is, well, I'm going to get angry and I'm going to respond and um, yeah. <laughs> just take a step back and take a deep breath. And the world, it's not as bad. Yeah. What did they mean by that? Is that really, you know, uh, I personally have got to like Mike Farrell, I'll call him and he'll say, oh, hi, what's up? And I'll say nothing. I just needed to hear your voice. We were on the the emails or every day, several emails a day. But I, sometimes that's simply not enough. And and I like to think that's my humanity taking over, saying I got to hear Mike's voice. I want to find out how Shelley is. I want to have the kids and what's doing and what's going on. And you know, and I don't want to read it. I want to hear him tell me. I want to hear your voice. Mm-hmm. I highly agree with that. I wish we could rec- like uh, record a- an audio letter and just send that instead of a text or or something. I suppose we probably could do that. But I, I was about to say, I'm pretty sure you can. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, so, they're so way ahead of us. You know? right. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, you were talking about uh, bringing the dogs back from overseas for the, the soldiers. Right. Do how many yeah. tour do the dogs only serve the one tour with that soldier or do they go on and work with several different oh, soldiers? No, no, oh boy. Listen, the, the dogs they they can do seven tours, wow. I believe. Uh, I no, no, they um it's it's not easy, but they're wonderful and they're devoted and that's their DNA. This is what they do. They help and serve and save and protect and they're amazing animals. Uh, sometimes they can actually be um, reunited with a first handler, but uh, that's it, it's harder to do that because so much time has passed. And, and that handler may have uh, adopted, let's say, or been reunited with a dog down the line that that he was the third or fourth handler with. 
I mean, it's it's a little it's a little complicated the way it gets. Uh, also, there are companies that actually own the animals that actually have trained them and sent them there, and the handlers have bonded over there in Afghanistan. So it's a whole different um, set of rules. We then have to sometimes buy the dogs back from that company. You see, so it's it's very complicated. Um, I'm. I, I know a lot of this stuff, but I'm 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 focused on the results. The results. I I'm not so caring about the the the, the whys and the hows. Let's get them. <laughs> well, if you get focus them. on the result, then you're going to get the result. <laughs> That's if you right. focus Let's on all the dogs. problems, then you just get more problems. You see, they can't they can't go back uh, for any kind of reunion to begin with because they need rehab. Right. We have this lovely uh, center in Houston. And uh, we have trainers, and these dogs need to be uh, what? No, they have to go into rehab. They come back with PTSD. Sure. And people don't realize that. I mean, we don't want that dog uh, to um, be in the middle of Fourth of July and think it's a battle, you know. So, so uh, they need to be uh, retrained and and rehabilitated. But the beauty is, they can be. The the that's part of their DNA. Also, they can be and turn into. Uh, but the other thing is, there are so many retired uh, vets who want those animal companions, need those animal companions. And um, that's what they will turn into. Um, dear friend of mine, Marine Corporal, I did a painting of his dog, Harley. When I met Harley, he was uh, still serving and he, uh, well, I always call him he. It's such a male name. She she never took her eyes off of him, and he was in no danger. We were at the Emmys actually, but but uh, she just was there for him. You you uh, you could pet her, but she didn't care and should walk away or whatever. It's not what you do to them. So. Um, yeah, so now months and months and months go by and I'm visiting him at his home and he has had a child that the family has had a little child and, and there's the dog, same Harley, who has now turned into a pet and, and like guards the baby. But I mean, now Harley's a whole different dog, playful. I was pet her and, you know, so that's what happens in rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I, I think that it's it's a beautiful thing for both sides, for both the dog and for the, the service person who, you know, they both put out so much for people to be able to reunite them, to bring them both that kind of joy. But but also I heard that they're training them to uh, help with nightmares. They do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have footage, actually, the um uh, guide dog for the blind in Tel Aviv uh, sent me some footage that when they were here in New York, we met and I did a painting that they auctioned off and stuff like that. So we got to know each other and uh, they sent me uh, a cassette of uh, um, this. Um, it was a shepherd, of course, uh, uh, lying half on the bed uh, with with the paws on the shoulder of the um, serviceman, uh, calming him, he's having a nightmare. 
and easing him out of sleep. Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah, because you can't startle them when, when you're having that's a nightmare. Right. That's the worst thing. Yeah. But it's a big dog and heavy and and so kind of put uh, he put his torso uh, on on the half the torso on the body of the the serviceman and uh, controlled it so that uh, like uh, I remember some of the POWs uh, told me that when they first came home they had of course they had terrible nightmares and. And they wouldn't sleep with their wives because if they thrashed around or, you know, they were dangerous. Mm-hmm. So in, in much the same way here, the dog just kind of throws his body on top of the vet and 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 wakes it, him gently out of the nightmare. So he he's got the contact. He sees the dog and he knows where he is. He figures out he's not in the middle of a battle or, you know, so, uh, yes, they're, they're remarkable. The animals are just, they're just remarkable. I I absolutely love that. And, uh, uh, you know, dogs especially have always had a certain, uh, empathy that I don't really think that you get with most other animals. And I think that was kind of the perfect choice of maybe why they were paired up for this kind of work in the first place. But, is there anything being done or has the, the process changed to where when the uh, dog is done being in service, that instead of having to go through this process that you're going through, that they are immediately moved? Or is that still something that's just going to go on the, the way? Now, hopefully that's part of the process. There are several organizations that get their turn. Mm-hmm. So after rehab, we may hook up with an organization that has a waiting list of vets or just or or just people you know who want to be you uh, hooked up with with um, a service dog so now the next step is let's see who's compatible and then let's find a team that we think has possibility the next step is they go off for training together they get to do training together i mean i've seen you know uh, dogs serving a uh, paraplegic, you know, they get up in the morning, turn on the lights and pull down the covers. They, I mean, they're, they, they're, they're companions, they're total companions. And, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's so, so the training that they would have, they go off for eight, nine weeks together and they train together. And the dog learns what the needs are. The vet learns what his needs are, and and there they are, and they're a team, and that's it. It's a win-win situation. Sure, and that's a bond that you just can't touch any other way. There's nothing else that would create the magic between those two beings. That's right. The uh, there's also a wonderful uh, idea of of uh, taking shelter dogs uh, and training them, so they say out of shelter into service, and then we do that too. We we have. Uh, the facility to do that too. Um, there are certain breeds that that have that DNA, you know, built in. Shepherds are great military dogs. Shepherds and um, shepherd mixes. Um, uh, I've worked with uh, search and rescue people. Uh, they do best with retrievers and um, 
and and retrieve our mixes, you know, and 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 not shepherds, interestingly, and but but the retrievers for search and rescue, you know, those those teams that fly all over the world in crisis areas and dig people out of the rubble of a tsunami or a you know uh, um, an explosion of some sort of whatever. So so. They, but those retrievers just you get out there and dig, dig them out, and you know. Uh, so, and I've seen them in training. I've seen the little babies, you know, <laughs> in training, and uh, it's it's really a, a blessing. It's a remarkable blessing that we have with these animals. I love that that there's people like you that are out there doing this work because it's something that. A lot of people like myself, until I heard you talk about it, I didn't. It just never even occurred to me. So thank you for being uh, part of that and heading that up and, and having such a focus on it. I think that's beautiful work. And yeah. for those of you that are listening, you can go to sweetheart.org. We'll have that link in the show notes. You can see how you can help. And one of the ways that's another win-win is this beautiful book called The Watercolor Artistry and Animal Activism of Loretta Swit. And you have done some amazing paintings in this book. I'm blown away by how good you are. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll tell you the truth. I'm untrained. Sometimes I finish a painting and I, I'm blown away. How, no, how did I do that? That's really amazing, you know? Well, I but, do the same thing in music. And I think sometimes you just get in a zone and you don't, yeah. you don't overthink yeah. it. You're just there. Absolutely. I have friends who write music and they don't read music. They I don't they don't write music. They compose. They come two of my friends compose and they can't read music. And I but I understand that because I can't teach somebody how to paint because I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's not you know what it's, I'm saying. It's 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 a different thing. It's almost like the street smarts version of being an artist. Like you didn't you don't have to go to school to know how to create and your technique develops over time and you'll pick up little tips here and there. But there's sure. it's, it's the passion that really comes out and, and in every it's, picture it's I've just seen wanting to do it. It's simply just wanting it that's all i've always teased people they say gee i wish i could draw the look at my painting and say no you don't and they say what do you mean <laughs> no if you really wanted to do it you'd simply do it that's what happens i i when you're not schooled as i am uh, you just do it i wanted to so i sat down and i did it but i and so i say to them if you really wanted to do it you would do that so don't kid yourself because you're not kidding me when you say, oh, I wish I could do that. If you wished hard enough, you'd be doing it. Oh, I can't. Straight line is another one. You don't have to. We use a ruler. You know, it's right. um, <laughs> it's it's uh, just not um, saying things without thinking with just by rote, you know. Right. If the passion's really there, you'll do it. If it's not really there, then it, it then it isn't as important to you. But then you do something else. Right. That's the thing, you see. Yeah, so you find uh, your passion. Um, but speaking of Picasso, I have to thank you for something else that you turned me on to that I watched earlier today, actually, was, uh, and it's on Netflix right now, uh, Nanette with Hannah Gatsby. Oh, God. She oh, how is, powerful is that? She is an extraordinary person. Oh, my. And I was so lucky to get the opportunity to meet her and 
and call her a friend, actually. Oh, she is magnificent. And her new, uh, it's called Douglas, her new show begins tonight on oh, Netflix. Great. Oh, what great timing. I have seen, oh, I've seen it, I don't know how many times, because I saw it in the growth. I saw it in the evolution. She did it uh, on stage in New York. Um, there was a, a limited run, but I was there <laughs> every day. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I honestly don't know how many times I saw it, but I did, I was able to see the growth, the difference, the changes, you know, this was working better because she did this or whatever. And I saw all of that. So I felt like I was in on it, you know, and uh, they had the most remarkable happening. Um, she was uh, up for an Emmy for Nanette. Oh, good. And um, they, they put a big screen in back of her as she was performing in, in the theater, there was a big screen that uh, was prepared to uh, take uh, the projection of whether she won or not. Oh. And and she did. So she was busy talking to the audience, and suddenly they burst into applause, and, and she turned around, and she said, oh, my, oh, my. <laughs> oh, how awesome would it have been it to be there awesome. that night? Yeah. Well, it was awesome. The thing is, she also won the Peabody Award for Nanette. Mm -hmm. she's fantastic she's just fantastic it's a very very powerful uh i hate to call it a comedy show because it is but it's not right no it definitely is the only thing i'll say to people that are listening is watch it and if it upsets you you're exactly the person that should be watching it <laughs> that's very good Thank speaking you. of upset come over here sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. That's true. Yeah. I was just I was just blown away by how powerful her words were. And it's definitely something that I highly recommend to uh, to everybody. But, you know, it just it's it's another one of those things that goes to show that life is really all about perspective and you can change your perspective at any time if you want. And you can do things that make the world better or you can not do things that make the world better. It's really up to all of us as individuals. But is it a group to encourage people to want to do better? Well, the power that she had uh, initially to um, announce what she planned to do, and that was give up comedy because she could no longer tolerate putting herself down. She, the self-deprecating humor was not humorous. She said it was humiliating. Right. And uh, But to make this announcement... I don't know if you know how large the Sydney Opera House is, but but it was full. And there she is, <laughs> this single little creature. And uh, I mean, thousands of people. And, and anyway, she makes this announcement and um, and then jokes about it and says, um, I, I don't have a fallback. I don't know what I'll do. But, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it isn't a comedy show, but she did really break the ceiling. She, I mean, she pushed the envelope on comedy because I, I've seen the big change in stand-up since Nanette, since Gatsby, because people, the comic, the comics had to start thinking about what she was saying and what she was doing, and they saw 
the audience responding to the truth of what she's doing and saying, and you know. Yes, it's a it's a very beautiful thing to watch unfold. But I think there's certainly a uh, and, and a producer told me this one time. They said it's it's comedy is a great way to deliver the truth because you're you're kind of relaxing people. You're putting them in a joyous state and then you hit them with a little truth. And she did it in a very powerful way. I think you could do it also in a in a subtle way that won't have the same impact. But I think comedy is a great sort of a candy coating to deliver something. Oh, yes. There's another. Um, uh, I, I like to discover people. And uh, there is um, a Netflix uh, gentleman by the name of Mike Bar- Barbilla. Now, I'm pronouncing it correctly. He does not. And it's his. <laughs> but it's B-I-R-B-I-R-B-I-G-L-I-A. And it's like Modigliani. You don't see Mo- you don't say Modigliani, but. He pronounces his name Barbiglia. Uh, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) If ever I meet him, I'll tell him that I choose to pronounce his name the correct way. He's Italian. But uh, he has a lovely, lovely show. And um, I realize what what I respond to with him is that he's so unangry and and it's it's more than charm. He has the um, he pull he pulls back and smiles at his own joke or at his own flaw or in, in a way that is so appealing. And uh, the, the 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 show that I saw, he talked about not wanting to have children ever because he did, and he gave you all these amazingly funny reasons. Most of them honest and true, you know, but his delivery and his um, he writes his own materials. It just it was just a winner. And I thought overall, that's what it is, though. He connects, which is important. And he's unangry. He's unangry. And um, uh, that's I find that very appealing. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this now. Yeah, my oh, you mean uh, the the new uh, the new Gatsby is called Douglas. Douglas, okay. And I uh, I did um, a painting of Douglas, the name of one of her dogs, oh. and the painting. And uh, <laughs> she she makes rock animals, so she made me a shark. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds like a really cool person. No judgment. She says, you know, I know you like sharks. Mm-hmm. So I made you a shark. <laughs> but uh, I'm working on the second edition of the book. And so um, Douglas, I have to say, it's at that point in time, it was my best work. Oh, great. Uh, it was, it just came, came out. It was amazing because uh douglas was not easy to to paint he's a a a water dog basically he doesn't shed but he he his fur comes out like curls like braids and curls it's just very difficult to capture and and also he's many colors he's he's like a little brown and a little gray and a little black and and so um but i took my time and uh, my deadline was only, I wanted to get it to her before she went on tour. 
And so, um, uh, but, but, oh, Douglas is beautiful, beautiful. I love that she loves dogs. Of course she would, you know. Are these the, one of the two dogs that she had at the end of Nanette? Uh, no, it, he wasn't there. Oh, okay. I worked, she sent me some photos and I did, you know, a combination of, uh, the photos that I had, but they were color. I could see, you know, <laughs> I have a. Oh, it was so scary. I I should have really looked at Douglas before I said, I'm going to paint Douglas for you. <laughs> oh, my God. And I, you know. I have from time to time committed to things I should have never committed to and then went, oh, crap, I have to do this now. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I can empathize. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, we talked a little bit uh, before the show. Um, I loved seeing you on Match Game. And part of the reason that I loved that was because, for one, I mean, you're, you're, you're just so much in the moment. You're, you're, you've got this beaming smile. You genuinely want to do the best job you can do for either contestant that, you know, because you're not competing. You're there to help everybody. But I loved watching your genuine, I want to do the best I can, we're in this together look. <laughs> well, that's that's what those shows were all about. You know, everybody did those shows for fun. It was fun. And you did it on a weekend. And it was, it was so easy to have fun. And usually the other guests were great friends of mine, you know. Sure. Uh, and so it was... It was a treat. It was a treat. Well, I mean, you're sitting next to Richard Dawson, who's hilarious. Right. You know, how how could it be a bad day? Yeah, indeed. Now, not to go a little dark here, but when I'm watching the shows now, looking at them from the perspective of 2020, yeah. there there's a really weird vibe on some of these these game shows that were done in the 60s and 70s and 80s, where it's kind of really touchy feely. A lot of sexual innuendos, um, stuff that you really couldn't do today. Do you do you look at that now and feel that maybe that's a little weird if that were to happen in today's world? Are you talking about match game specifically? Yes, very much so on match game. I, I obviously I confess to not watching it at all. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I saw it then, but I always felt that Gene Rayburn was uh, suggesting. Um, three or four other things than than what the reality was. <laughs> yeah. I always, I always felt he was on the edge there, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, but I, it, 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 I guess it, it didn't affect me. I didn't, you know. Um, and I also um, didn't play into it with him. Mm-hmm. I. Uh, I usually looked like I was scolding him or something. <laughs> <laughs> I also I also loved the pyramid. And that was another one where it's very much just you're like, we're in this together, let's get this done. And and I always felt such a charge watching you on that show. You know, I are you match game you mean? No, pyramid. Pyra- oh, pyramid was fabulous. There that was, you know, it really was a challenge. And you were really connected. I guess that's what I liked too. I, you connected to the people, and you became this instant team. And uh, oh, I, I really liked it. Uh, I, and and we did it in New York, 
and I was living in California. We were shooting MASH at the time. Mm-hmm. I would fly in uh, at Friday night after the last shot Friday. I'd get on uh, what we call the red eye, and I'd land in New York at 6 a.m. or something, and I'd go to one of my favorite breakfast places that I have. I'd have French, French croissant, you know, all my favorite things. It's a real treat. And then I'd go to the studio and nap. And then I'd, I'd get up at noon. You brought five changes, mostly tops, you know, to make it look like you were doing five different days. But got a whole week of the show. And my mom and dad were still living in New York. So I got to see them. They, came, they loved coming to watch the game. And then after it was all over, we all had dinner. It was fabulous. And then they went home, which was late. And I got on on another red eye and I went home and uh, spent the day Sunday kind of resting up because that (laughs) that flying and all that stuff does does things to your body. Oh, sure. But it was it was such an adventure. It was so much fun to do that. Yeah, I'm so glad that you did. And I, I really do love watching that. I, I think that there's people that, you know, they were there and they were there and, and they were funny, but you really seem to have a connection with the contestants. And that's something that really wanted, it, it just made me root for you that much more. I am uh, an unashamedly, I am a people person. It's why I enjoy autograph shows it's why i love doing cameos i am um i'm into outreach and i'm into connection and back to my friend hannah for a second she ends on that note connect is all about connection uh she talks about the van gogh and what what kept him together because he was <laughs> insane a little he had a loving brother he had the connection of the love and the care from the brother. Mm-hmm. And that that's it. I mean, having somebody in your life that is a, a strong influence, it makes you fight when you're down. The connection, really. You know, just uh, I uh, I so enjoy. And sometimes, you you know cameos. You know what they are. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they'll, they'll send me responses to my cameos. Oh. And. Sometimes I'm telling you, I I just weep. I just I just start to cry. It's so meaningful because it'll be it'll be um, uh, let's say uh, a mother's birthday, and uh, I'll get a, a a response from a daughter saying, "I can't. I don't know where to start thanking you for that lovely message you gave her for her birthday." I've never seen her smile like that. She was so thrilled and she was so happy. Uh, and I, but you know what? Just recently, and this was not from the cameo, because I sent it to uh, the boys. It, uh, it was um, a tweet, I think, or uh, one, one of them, one of them. Uh, and um, uh, she had, she had sent me a note saying that. Um, she was so connected to MASH because her father had served in Korea. Mm-hmm. I guess that was it. Yeah. And, and so I wrote back and said, um, tell him I said, and Charlie, tell Charlie I said, welcome home. 
and please thank him for his service. Oh. I uh, appreciate him and and I you know love him and so forth. So uh, some time went by and I got this other letter. Um, I, it must have been Instagram, and she said when he got your note he cried. It made him cry. And he passed about a week later. And she said, I just want you to know how happy you made him by that note that you reached out to a stranger, you know, and you said that. And and he wept. He was just so thrilled. And I'm saying I'm reading this and I'm in tears. And and I it took what? 15 nanoseconds out of my life to just pay my respects to a serviceman. You know, they are my heroes. You know how involved I am with the military yeah. and POWs and everything. I mean, what did it, it, all I wanted him to know how much I appreciated his sacrifice. And it is a sacrifice. If those, if, if they don't go into combat, it's a sacrifice. They give up years of their young life. You know, and not to mention the the harsh training. I mean, woof. Oh but, yeah. But I, everybody, every day should be stopping servicemen on the street saying, "I love you, thank you, <laughs> keep up the good work," or whatever. And so um, there are uh, there are things that have hit me in, in movies. In A Few Good Men, Demi Moore is asked, why do you love them so much? With a little bit of derogatory tone, why do you love them? And she she says, because, because they stand the post and they say, nothing's gonna harm you, not on my watch. I love that scene. To me, at that all, every every guy out there in the service in the military is protecting me every single day, and <laughs> I I am obliged. I must I must tell them what it means to me. I have to, and we and we all should do that. But anyway, so <laughs> but but that that's my thing to. Um, Make sure they know the POWs when I, uh, you know, I go to their reunions when I can. And uh, when I speak to them, it's just really to reassure them that they are not forgotten, that people know what they did and, and want to thank them again and again and again. What they went through, we can't wrap our brains around. Trust me. We cannot begin to imagine. And you know what I told them? One day it hit me. You made me so brave. I can face anything because I know I will never, ever have to go through an ounce of the suffering that you endured. You not only went through it, you triumphed. You're here. I'm looking at you. And it's made me feel so brave. It's given me such courage because if you can go through that, 
I can do anything. It is incredibly empowering when you look at it through those eyes, very much so. Yes. But uh, it was very painful to lose since I've been working with the POWs. I've, I've, you know, lost so many. One fellow that really became such good friends would talk on the phone for hours. He, he lied about his age. He joined the army when he was 16. You know, yeah, yeah. But uh, these they're my priceless friends. They're just so amazing. A whole bunch of them came to see me do a play. I was doing a play in uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, and they surprised me in the audience. I mean, they're just um, they're my buds. They're my buddies. Yeah. And it goes back to that connection that you were talking about, because you're making real connections. And this gentleman that uh, that passed away that you took the time to thank, he had yeah. a real connection with you uh, before. Yeah. And that's that's such a beautiful thing. It's not hard to make someone happy or bring a little joy into somebody's life if you just take a few seconds to do it. It's it's really, you know, it's all about appreciation and respect. I had um, appendix out. And I had such care. This was a few years ago, more than a few, in California. And I, uh, the nurses were so great. Uh, they were so friendly. We became friends. And I said, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you did for me and so forth. And um, a, a couple of days later, I went back with some uh, goodies, chocolates and flowers and things. And they looked at me and started to cry. Nobody thinks to go back to say thank you. Mm -hmm. We we take this for granted. I don't. (laughs) I've learned not to take these things for granted. They said, one of them said, oh, my God, you came back. And they're crying. In a way, that, that really makes me happy. But in another way, it makes me sad that that isn't the norm. But it can be. It can. See, but what the crisis has taught us, I mean, you don't know what happens here at 7 o'clock every day. People get out on their, their fire escapes or just, just stand in the road or whatever, and they bang pots and pans. They yell. They scream. They blow horns. They, they get in their cars. They honk horns. Every day, 7 o'clock, the noise is deafening because it has to be. They have to hear it all the way uptown in the hospitals. This is our way of saying, we know what you're doing. We love you. We're making noise because we can't just say, thank you. This is our way of letting you know you're in our heart. You're on our minds. You're on our, you're in our thoughts. And they do this in New York, in Manhattan, every day. Amazing. The the camaraderie that goes on in New York is uh, so different from anywhere else. Yeah, <laughs> the New Yorkers are really they're really when they say New York tough. But I'm gonna quote. You know, I'm a child of the movies. My mom and I would see four features in a day. Wow. So a double feature would go out afterwards. We usually Chinese food. We love Chinese food, and then we'd go to another cinema and see another two movies. I mean, it was like insane so um, i you'll find me quoting movies a lot but in 
you'll know this one because Casablanca, ah. which is such a classic. But in Casablanca, they're at Rick's and Ambogi is sitting with the Germans who are trying to uh, interrogate him in a way. And um, he's got these great lines. He looks at the records and he says, uh, are my eyes really brown? You know, that great line. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, um, um, the, uh, the one German says, um, what do you think, uh, Mr. Rick? Can you see us uh, in your beloved Paris, you know? And he says, well, it's not my beloved Paris. He says, well, what about London then? Can you see us in London? And Rick says, ask me when you get there. And, um, and what about the other, the other one, Conrad Veit? Says, uh, and New York, can you see us in New York? And Bogey kind of, you know, that habit he has of like, he had <clears throat> just touching his nose a little bit in, thoughtfully. And he, well, there are certain areas in New York I would suggest you don't try to invade. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, I remember that line now. Yeah, that's good need to be from the tri-state to understand how true that is don't do it don't go i was going to do a little cartoon cartoon showing uh the virus the door saying you know we're new yorkers you know <laughs> you know get out of here you don't you don't <laughs> you don't invade us here goodbye covid you know there's or out out so. Or just a, a picture of the virus looking at the city of New York about to go in and going, uh, no. Yeah, or, or scared, like, ah! <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't go. <laughs> I, I hate that we're out of time, but uh, before we go, I want to ask you, now you mentioned that you're working on your second book. Do you have an ETA or is it just kind of open at this point? No, we're, we're held up very much mm. with uh, our crisis. But you know, um, it gives me a chance to write and paint. So um, hopefully when my printer is back in production, we can hit the ground running, you know. So, uh, But it, it'll all depend on when we can open up and start you know, printing. Beautiful printers. They're, they do beautiful, magnificent work. And those paintings of mine really... They really write themselves. There's the experience that goes into the painting is um, it just writes itself. Yes, for sure. And and I'm really excited about it. I'm I hope that when you release that book, you'll come back on and talk to us about it. Oh yes. Oh, you know I will. Yay. <laughs> well, you know, we didn't we didn't get to talk about your acting very much. So I'll just say for those of you uh, who are, are uh, fans of MASH that grew up with it like I did. Uh, I, I feel like I know you, but the reality of talking to you proves that I was right about the person that you are. And I absolutely love that. I think you're wonderful. I love that you're putting so much good into the world. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for just being who you are. You're awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. You have a great evening. I will. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 
what a just a lovely, lovely woman who's out there working her tail off to make this world a better place for for people, especially doing things that uh, you know things I wouldn't have thought of. Like I wouldn't have thought about service dogs and and the people that uh, need them. It just would not have occurred to me. So I'm really glad that she's out there uh, just working so hard, rallying, making things happen, and making the world a better place. Thank you, Loretta. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. If you have any feedback, questions, anything that you want to talk about, you can reach me at scott at scotthaskin.com. And uh, you can follow the podcast on uh, Facebook, Twitter, all, Instagram, all the places. And uh, you can get those links in the show notes as well. Uh, come back next week. We'll have another show for you. Thank you, Loretta. And thank you guys for listening. Cheers. Cheers.